Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, just a trigger warning. We do talk about suicide and sexual assault and sex trafficking in this episode. So I just wanted to give you that warning in case that might trigger anybody um, and, or that you might be aware that after you listen to this that you may need to speak to somebody. So I hope this helps and I hope you find value in this episode. Have a great day. Hey guys, today I'm here with Lark. After working in corporate world for 25 years, Lark left to run her father's trucking company when he passed away unexpectedly from suicide after struggling with mental illness for most of his life. Her business experience allowed her to streamline the company and nine months later, she was working only one hour a week. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds like a, a, a really, a really good time. Uh, so realizing there were many entrepreneurs who could benefit from her experience, Lark started her own consulting business. Her 19 year old son's suicide in March of 2019 reinforced what she'd been hearing from many of her high achieving clients. They felt unworthy and incapable of reaching their goals. Lark went from coaching on the externals to focusing on why each person matters. Her goal is to help 100,000 people choose to stay on this planet and step into their greatness. So we were just talking before um, the interview started, and I was telling Lark, most people listening know I'm bipolar, and um, I've been struggling with depression lately. And I have my own story of, of suicide, actually. Um, they, they can't see the picture I was about to show you. My wrist is uh, the semicolon. It's my reminder that I'm still here when so many people have lost their battle to mental illness. So but, I will try not to choke up while we're talking about this because it's a very, um, it's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I was a coach, I was a life coach for many years and I just, we were talking about me going back to school. I'm actually going back to school for psychology uh, because I saw a lot of my clients that, that struggle with mental illness. And I was like, I am not qualified to help you right now with this. Um, but I want to be, and I want to learn more about psychology and more about why I am the way I am. Um, so in a lot of times it, it is hereditary and, you know, like you said, your father uh, died by suicide and then your son died by suicide and it tends to be, it tends to go down. Like we think one or both my parents have a, a mental illness, but they just haven't gotten the help that they need. Um, so I'd, I'd like to start, start off with that lark. Um, what was it like losing your dad? Like, you know, it was unexpected in some ways and expected in others. Um, we had a very unstable childhood. Um, he moved us every year, a different school every year of my life, just because he was always looking for something else to satisfy that, you know, that demon inside. And at the time we didn't know, um, what was going on, that there was mental illness going on. And it wasn't until he was in his early 50s that he was actually diagnosed. So this would have been about 24 years ago, right in that that time period, you know, and, and this was something that 
in my childhood, you didn't talk about people that were crazy, mm -hmm. right? You just, it, it didn't happen. And um, so I'm sure there were several people that were suffering mentally, but they just didn't know how to explain it. And families didn't know how to, to address it or to help. I think now it's getting better in the sense that we're recognizing that that we do need to talk about it, that it is something that we can address and that people can get help for. Because a lot of times the suicide leads to, or excuse me, that the mental illness leads to suicide. That's part of it. Or just depression, you know, that can, can spiral out of control. And I think especially right now with, with the COVID, with the global pandemic, there are so many people that are uncertain and they, they're going into this depression and then they're just worried. What is my future like? What am I going mm -hmm. to do? I don't know. And, and so I think it's an even more uh, prevalent topic than ever before. And so um, my father had talked about you know, depression as, and I, I'm the oldest. So he actually told me he had DNR tattooed on his chest. Do not resuscitate. And 10 years before he died, he was you know, talking about don't, I don't, I never want to be a vegetable. You know, if I, I never, I'm never going to go into a, a, an assisted living home like his mother had to do. She had dementia. He was very concerned about that. And uh, he actually lived in my basement apartment. And my greatest concern was that my children were going to find my father with a bullet in his head. That was one of my greatest concerns as a young mother. And um, you can appreciate that with, with having children in that yeah. age group you know, just really scary and not knowing what was, what was going to happen. Um, and then just six and a half years ago, he was in a car accident that was brought on, I think by his, his he had had a surgery. And so they had changed his uh, bipolar medication. He hadn't been sleeping. We think he dr drifted off the road, hit a parked service vehicle. And then uh, he just pulled out his gun and shot himself. I think it was the last straw, just just too much. And uh, I got the call. I had to go down to the hospital. I did not know that I was uh, his medical power of attorney. Did not know that, you know, <laughs> showed up and I had to make some very um, critical decisions. He, he was on life support and I knew that that's not what he wanted. And so I said, yes, we, you know, and the doctor said he'll, he's never going to recover. Even, you know, I don't think he's going to be able to live without the machines, but even if he does, he's not, he's never going to be capable. And uh, so we turned off the machines that day and uh, it was hard. It was really hard knowing that my parent, my father struggled with this. It was something he dealt with on a daily basis, affected his relationships with, with many people. He, he had a hard time even associating with us during, you know, holidays. He wanted to be around people, but then he didn't want to be around people. Mm -hmm. And having gone through a little bit you know, of struggles myself on different levels at different times. Um, I can appreciate that. You know, the, mm -hmm. the one thing when you're depressed, I've found is that we think that we can solve it by ourselves. And so we want to go into a private, quiet space. And yet when you're depressed, that's exactly the opposite of what's really going to help you out. Mm -hmm. But when you're in it, you don't see it. No, I know I'm in it right now. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but it's true. Like I, you're like, yeah, you don't. And you know, um, I was, I had a, a call with my therapist this morning, the morning of when we're recording this. And I said, I, I wanted to shut off the, so on zoom and she doesn't do it zoom, uh, but on zoom, you can hide yourself. So you're not distracted. And I told her, I said, Oh, I wish on this platform I could hide myself. So I, she's like, why do you want to hide yourself? 
I said, so I'm not looking at me. She's like, you need to look at you because Lark's seeing me now after I took a shower, but I hadn't taken a shower in three days and I was just a mess. And she's like, you need to see that person and you need to realize like, you, I, cause I said to her, I said, I'm just mildly depressed. She's like, you are not mildly depressed. Like I was like, well, in comparison to how bad I've been off on in previous occasions, I'm mildly depressed. She's like, no, this is not mild depression. You need to get help because, you know, to me, I'm like, it's just going to go away. I'll be okay. And now I'm like, oh, maybe they need to adjust my medication. So side tangent. Yeah. I understand what you're talking about. Depression, depressed people think that they can, can, it'll just go away and they can handle it on their own. But, and I'm really glad that you recognize this because, you know, so many people don't. And, and as I mentioned, I've had different bouts of depression, you know, at different times in my life. And I can, I try to equate it to people who have no experience with this depression other than, Oh, I've had a bad, bad day. Right. That's depression is not a bad day. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's say that you like gash your arm and you see this huge gash in your arm and you go to the hospital and you get some painkillers for it and they sew you up and it hurts, but you know that at some point you're going to feel better, right? Your arm will get better. Right. And I explain to people, depression is like having something, a pain inside your body that hurts so bad and you don't know how to fix it. You don't know if and when or if it will ever be fixed. And so it's, you just want the pain to stop. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of times why people turn to suicide because that they're not in their right minds. You know, mm -hmm. they have overcome this barrier of self-preservation and they just want the pain to stop. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, when I had my suicide attempt and I, I know I've struggled with suicide uh, throughout my, since I was very young. Um, I've dealt with mental illness since I was very young. And um, for me, it was a that, and it was a feeling of, of worthlessness. Like I, I was just a drain on the system that is my family and society. Why do I need to be here? Because I'm just hurting them with me hurting, you know, and they would be much better off without me. So that you know, was- And that's, yes, that's very prevalent for people that do die by suicide is they think they're a burden. I, I know of lots of mothers with young children and they have this belief that they, that they are a terrible mother and that their children would be better off without them, mm -hmm. which is not true at all. It's not, you know, and, and if we think about the people in their, in our lives and how important they are to us and what they mean, that's so important to remember. And I just think about this with, with my son, if he had gotten to this point where he decided to take his life as a 19 year old, because he didn't see value and that he had something to offer the world and, and he had tremendous gifts that how many people are walking around in this world thinking I don't have value. There's, I should just leave. There's no reason for me to be here. And yet every one of us has the opportunity to make a difference in someone else's life. Mm -hmm. And I think of two mentors in my life who at different times showed up and were able to help me overcome struggles that I was going through right then. And I learned that both of these mentors in their younger years had both thought of suicide, had planned their suicide. And for some reason, they just were able to pop out of it and, and not follow through with it. And I thought to myself, if they had followed through with their suicide and they hadn't been there at the time when I needed to hear their message to help me move forward, where would I have been? Mm -hmm. What would I have done? And I tell people, you are that 
messenger for someone else. If you decide to end your life early, you are not going to be there when that other person is searching and needs to hear your message. And we're all connected. We all need each other more than ever before. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of times, um, and this is not an ego boost for me. I'm not trying to like, Ooh, go for you, Megan. But I get a lot of times, um, people will comment under things I share and say, I really admire you. I, I think you're a wonderful person. Um, you know, I look up to you and I, um, love how open and honest you are and how much, how much passion you have for all the things. And then those are the messages like that, like fuel me to like keep going. I mean, I haven't had suicidal ideation in, in years, but like those kind of things, like even right now in a depressive state, I was like, oh, they keep me going. And, and part of it too, I always tell my therapist this, if my, my kids are around, they're my buffer, nothing's going to happen. Cause I am a child whose parent has, has attempted suicide at least twice. And one of those times I found my parent overdosed on the floor and as a young child. And so I could never do that to my children because that was traumatic. It and is traumatic. I, and I couldn't imagine doing that to my own kids. So I always say like, if my kids are around, I'm safe. Like I might get super depressed and not leave my bed, but you can guarantee I'll still be here. And the, uh, the time I did attempt suicide in, um, 2003 or 13, 2013, not 2003, 2013. Um, no, my kids weren't home. And exactly. That that's it. So there are, so when you said earlier about your dad, um, how you were afraid of your children finding him, I can understand that fear because that's it, traumatic for a child. It is. And that's the last thing I wanted, you know? And so it's so important that, that parents, mothers, um, just anyone, we understand that when we think about taking our own life, it affects the ripple effect. It's like at least 115 people they, they, you know, commented on and you're affecting so many people in different ways. And I think what you mentioned about, you know, hearing back from other people saying, I'm so glad you're talking about this because most people won't talk about it. it and, and that's with my father's suicide. I couldn't talk about it. I had very few, even close friends who knew how he actually died. And I, I just couldn't physically talk about it because of the shame and the stigma. And when 15 months ago, my son died by suicide, I started to go into that black hole where I, I can't talk about it. I can't face it. But because of other moms reaching out to me and telling me their fears about their children and my concern that because their children knew my son, that their children might choose to die by suicide because you have this copycat. And I decided it wasn't about whether it wasn't about me. Was I a good parent? It wasn't about my son and his struggles. It was the fact that if I didn't speak out and these children took their lives, I couldn't live with that. That, yeah. that was not something I could live with. And so people say, Oh, look, you're really strong. You're really great. You're talking about this. I'm like, well, I'm doing it because in the beginning I was concerned about the additional, any kind of guilt that I might've right. had to carry. And now I'm doing it because I feel it's so important. It's such a big message. And like you mentioned, when, when I hear back from a, a, a young woman that I've known since she was you know, 10 years old, and now she's in her late 20s, she said that she'd been going through this depression for th three years because she had been living with a man who sexually abused her, would rape her, and, and just kept her captive. And she couldn't say anything. 
And then finally, after hearing me talk, she was able to get away from him and started to press charges. And she said, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't spoken out. Or other times when people have reached out and said, your message helped me go on and, and realize I am important and I need to stay on the planet. And, and so, like you said, that is what helps me continue to talk about it, is making a difference in, in one person's life. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's why I share very openly about my mental health and, and the trauma that I've been through in my life. Um, I, I try not to share too much about somebody else's story, right? Like I mentioned my parent, like overdose. I'm not going to go completely into their story because that's really not, that's not my place to say. But for me, uh, their suicide or suicide attempt was part, it's part of my story. It's my experience too. Um, so I feel like sharing my experience and the things I've been through and, and that, if it can just help one person. If exactly. One, one person, I've had people reach out to me, like me sharing um, what it's like to be bipolar. And they're like, oh, that sounds like me. I said, please, please get help. Like, please seek out a mental health professional and get help because it can get bad. Like, I mean, I've almost ruined my marriage. I uh, have racked up so much debt in my life. Just when I get in a hypomanic um, state, I, there's so many things I've done to like that, that need you talked about your dad, like trying to, to that urge, that impulse. That's why I'm very impulsive. Bipolar people are very impulsive and we get this, like we get this, pull to do something and it, people are like just just don't listen to that pull it's 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 like this loud voice in your head and you're just like i have to do this thing right it's so impulsive and and those impulses can ruin your life um exactly. so that's why i want people to get help is like not just so they don't ruin their life they don't ruin their kids lives i'm part of a bipolar group on facebook and some of the stories that come out of that group about people who like have nothing left because bipolar disorder has destroyed their lives. Um, it's scary. And that's why, like, if I share, and like you said, it helps just one person, then I feel like I did my job and it was worth me sharing and being vulnerable and being like, this is the things that I've done. Right. Because what, what sometimes they don't understand when they're in that depressed state is that I can't get better, but yes, you can get better. You know, it might take a little while and it might take some tweaking to find the right medication, but you can get better and it's okay to talk about it. It's okay. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And I was just talking about how I, I probably need to reach out to my psychiatrist before my next appointment and be like, Hey, you got some openings. <laughs> we might need to tweak this. It's no longer me having like mild depression for like a day or two now it has like been going on for over a week and it's going from mild to like more moderate and um you know that's something that we just have to be honest about what we're our struggles are and and like you said we are in a a global pandemic we are in the middle of a collective trauma so even people who have not experienced symptoms of mental illness are now experiencing symptoms of mental illness because this is this is hard this is hard yes. on everybody yeah. I mean, you're, you're isolated. You know, I, I'm kind of a, I'm not going to say I, I do a lot of things by myself and I like right. doing a lot of things by myself, but even I have felt this where you can't go out, you can't interact, you can't see people physically. And, and I see if it's taking effect on me, I know for these, you know, people, right. these, you know, huggy, touchy, feely people, it's, it's must be really hard for that. And so I feel like we do need other people and we need to reach out, especially at this time. 
And then you've got people whose lives are totally up in the air. You know, are they, are they going to be able to complete their education or get the training they need or what happens with their job or they've lost their job? Um, I feel the, the most for people in your situation, uh, mothers with young kids who they're trying to run a business. They might be going to school like you've been doing. Uh, they're trying to get their kids it through school and then you know they're you're all together at home all the time um, I don't have any kids at home right now so you know I I am just keeping together with with my husband and me you know let alone right. younger kids so I totally feel for you guys and and I just think you're the ones that need the, the most help of all right now is these found these parents with young kids yeah, and, and my husband's job takes him away from the house a lot. So then it's just me and the, and the children. Um, but for me, I realized it, to help my mental health, I have to open my circle a little bit. I cannot stay in this house by myself with no adult interaction. Like that's not working. Um, so like I, it's this weird place of like, I've opened my circle a little bit to allow some people into my life you know, see them face to face. But then now I have all this anxiety of like, what if I, I contract the virus and I give it to something, they end up in the hospital and then my brain just goes, Wee! <laughs> spirals out of control of like, cause for me, um, I am concerned about the repercussions of the virus. Cause now they're saying like, you know, even if you, you weren't really sick, you might have like lung damage from it. So all these things are coming out now because now it's been months since some people have had it and you're starting to be able to see the repercussions of it. But I'm more concerned about like me getting it and giving it to somebody who ends up really sick, ends up in the hospital, dies. Like to me, I would, I don't know how I would live with myself if, if that happened. Right. So we just have to take precautions, you know, especially if you're high risk and just maybe have, uh, I've had social distancing visits with neighbors, you know, on, on the porch, you know, and we're yeah. six feet away having a, a chat. And, and that's nice, you know, you can't give them a hug, but at least you can check in on, on other people, which is nice. And, and as I mentioned, you know, with my, with my son's suicide, I just realized that people can have all these external um, awards and accolades and all these accomplishments, and yet inside they're, they're hurting, they're not feeling good enough. I, I noticed that a lot with, with the clients, these business owners that I would coach, you know, and, and they would say, oh, I can't do something. And I'd be like, but you just finished this other thing. And this other thing right. was even bigger than this thing. And, and I thought we all have this, this feelings inside of not good enough at different times. And so just at least if nothing else, if we can have that core that, that I am good enough, I do deserve a place on this planet, I do deserve to live and, and contribute. And that's so important. And um, earlier this year, I connected with Richard Paul Evans. If, if you've heard of him, he wrote the Christmas box. Um, I want to say maybe 25 years ago, it's, it was a story about grief. He's spoken to a lot of groups about grief. He wrote the Michael Vay series, which is more towards uh, adolescence. Um, and then he's had over 40 New York Times number one bestselling books out there. So he, he's, he and I started this company called Tribe of Queens, and it's meant to help women to reestablish their boundaries, to reestablish their self-worth and who they are. And just as a part of that, one of the things that um, is really important to Richard is cause. He created the Christmas Box House, which is in Utah. It's helped almost 150,000 abandoned and abused children so far. Wow. 
And so he's, he's very much into helping and serving. And one of the um, parts of Tribe of Queens is to help with human trafficking. And just in the past two weeks, we've gotten really clear on, on the specifics. Because when we say, okay, let's stop human trafficking, which is big for women, for mothers, you know, it affects us and our children. Um, and, and that's a nice idea, but I think a lot of us say, I want to know specifically what can I do besides just writing a check, what yes. can I do? And we've come in contact with a woman who reached out to Richard because of the Christmas box house. She does, um, well, she does um, prevention, extraction, and aftercare. And she had a 13-year-old girl that her group had just rescued. And this girl was from, you know, Caucasian from next door, USA, right? And they had pulled her in from, from the sex trafficking group. And they were trying to find a place that she might be able to, to get some help. And it, it didn't coincide with what Richard's group was, his the group that he has for the kids that wasn't the right place for her, but they talked and said, what are you doing and, and how can we help? So we've, as, as an organization, we've gotten really clear and we actually want to um, set up a 501c3 that's in conjunction with this. And we, we already have, you know, without even advertising, we already have huge donors that want to come because they know Richard uh, from his Christmas box house and his charitable events there. Um, and so to be able to, first of all, prevent, think about that. Think about knowing um, it within our groups that we educate the women on how are the sex traffickers getting our children? How are they yeah. targeting them? How can we spot it? What can we do? How can we educate other people? And to just know that part, that's huge. And how they got this, this 13-year-old girl is it had been going on inside her house for a couple of years and her parents didn't even know it. Oh, and God how it happens is through video games. So she's on these video games and then someone reaches out to her, says he's like a 14 year old boy. Well, he's not, you know, he's the yeah. fat bald guy, middle-aged down the road. Right. And they're targeting these kids mm -hmm. and then they get the, get her, you know, they, they become friends and they say, Oh, you're so cute. I think you're great. They get her to send them a picture of her breasts and then they've got her. And then they say, oh, now you need to do this and this. And otherwise, we're going to share it with your friends. We're going to tell your parents you're bad. And they start putting these guilt trips on, on these children. And so then, of course, it spirals. They get them to do worse things. And then they got her, you know, so this supposed 14-year-old boy got her to come down and meet him somewhere. And that's when they snatched her and threw her into the sex ring. The other thing that's going on is these these traffickers, they don't even necessarily just take them for these children for sex. They take them for body parts, for organ harvesting. And children are being snatched in the United States. This is not something, this is going outside the United States, but right. in the United States, one child every 30 seconds. It is huge. And, you know, my son passed away from suicide. I have some closure in a sense. Think of a mother whose child is missing and she has no idea where that child is. And she's thinking the worst things that are happening to this child. That to me is, is only, that's even worse than, you know, what I feel like I went through is to have a right. child that is missing. And you're thinking, what is this child going through every day of their life? And so these are things that I feel like 
we can make a difference in the world by educating ourselves. Um, we're going to be putting together some, some day packs. So as these kids come out of the situation, they have a pack of, you know, maybe it's a comb, maybe it's some pajamas or a little teddy bear or something that's theirs that they can have because they have nothing when they immediately get rescued. And we're finding out that these kids are going back seven and eight times into that lifestyle because they don't know anything else. And so they need right. a lot of aftercare. And it's just getting really clear as, as I've been able to move forward. And I had to make a decision that I was going to make a difference, that, that the experience with my son was, I was going to use it for good. Mm -hmm. Because I did start to spiral down into the black hole. And I did start to say, what does, what does it matter? I'm just going to, you know, shrivel up and not get out of my bed. And yet my family was falling apart. I have other kids. I have my husband. And I, I realized that I didn't have the luxury if I wanted to keep our family together. And, right. you know, this aftermath of, of all of us trying to deal with our grief pick up the pieces. We've all made huge changes in our lives since my son's death, just because you realize so quickly what matters. And I think going through the, the pandemic, the lockdown, it's helped a lot of people kind of prioritize what's important in their life. When you have an experience like this, you quickly realize that those things in life we think are so important in reality, they mean nothing. And life mm -hmm. is all about relationships and how we can impact and bless other people. That's all it is. Yeah, we actually did, I actually did a, a couple years ago an episode with a woman from a, um, a house, you know, the, a house for um, sex trafficked women and children uh, called Beloved Haven. I'm in there in New, uh, North Carolina. I'm gonna link it up in the show notes, but um, she, she talked about the same thing as, um, you know, having, having a place, having a something, um, for these people. Cause you know, you don't have anything. And, and then like you said, right now in the pandemic where people are, we're having things stripped away from us, like things that we're so used to having, right. So many things like for me, I've realized so many things you take for granted, you know, just being able to go and eat at a restaurant, you know, being able to travel, like <laughs> exactly, you know, I traveled up to New York to bring my middle daughter to her father. Um, he, she's, she actually moved there with him, which is, has been uh, difficult too. So I'm sure that contributes to the depression. Um, <laughs> and to normally stopping to go to the bathroom, no big deal, right? You don't worry about it. You don't think uh, about it. <laughs> you don't think about it. But then, you know, luckily New York State requires masks and they have like certain um, guidelines in place. So it was a lot safer than driving other places. But you, you know, to look at that and have to worry now, like, where am I going to stop? Um, can you know, I stop? Is can anything I stop? open? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to be strategic, like with these like rest stops I'm taking. Um, and once I get there, like, uh, scoping out the hotel, like what are they doing to make sure people are safe? Like I, I stayed in a, a, a Hilton affiliated hotel because I was like, uh, I, I trust, I, I looked on their website. I'm like, what do they have to do? And they had like the sticker. So like once they've cleaned your room, it, they put a sticker on things. So like once the sticker is broken, you know, like somebody has been in there and they shouldn't have like all these things. Those are things that like literally six months ago, 
I would not have worried about. I would not exactly. have been checking out like what kind of cleaning is the hotel's room. I would just be concerned when I get there, like checking for bed bugs. Like that's, that's your biggest concern normally is like, does this hotel have bed bugs? And now you're like, could I get this potentially deadly virus by staying in this hotel? Like things that you never would have thought about, freedoms that we had before that now we we don't have in the capacity that we had. You know, you have to, some people I know think this is a hoax and they don't take it seriously at all. So I'm good on them. But for somebody like me, I'm, I'm thinking every time I, I do something like I'm being strategic about what I do. Right. You're being careful. I'm being careful because I don't, we, I don't, I don't want to take, I don't want to get this and then pass it on to somebody else. Um, I couldn't live like that. What if my kids got really sick and end up in the hospital because I decided like, I'm going to go out and party. Like, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing. And these are the freedoms that we didn't realize we had until they're gone. And now it's, it's, it's affecting everybody. And, and then we still have these horrific things going on in the United States and around the world that didn't stop because there's a virus. Exactly. It's, it's like the, the craziest thing. So in Utah, back in on March 18th, you know, the, we just experienced the lockdown. And then we had a pretty sizable earthquake. And for almost a week after, we would have aftershocks. So I'm in my house every day experiencing some kind of aftershock. And just, I mean, I'm thinking life is surreal. It's just crazy, you know, and we've got all these different things that people are experiencing. And and I'm like, wow, we just need to understand what is the most important. Let's strip away the things that don't matter and really get down to the most important things. So what would you say to somebody who has lost a family member, even a, a child to suicide? That's, um, that's a, really, a, a, a really difficult thing for somebody to, you know, as you know, um, and maybe you have some words of wisdom or, you know, things that you would recommend, um, to help them be able to work through this. And like you said, not spiral into that deep, dark hole that like, and then we, now we lost another person. Exactly. I mean? Cause that, that, you know what, I didn't know at the time that because of my father's suicide, my family members then were increased their suicide chances by 50%. So wow. you're right. It is, it is huge because when one person does it, the other person thinks, well, they checked out. Why can't I do it too? And it suddenly becomes an option. And I'm, I'm wanting to take the option off the table. So for these families who have lost someone, you know, a loved one, whether it's through suicide or not, um, there are a couple things. For, if it is through suicide, just know that they were not in their right mind. They, they did not know what they were doing. I really believe that, that my son is still here. He has, he regrets what he did. I feel very close to him, especially as I share his message that, that we need to stick around on this planet and help other people. And, and that it's our thoughts. It's really important. If I start to spiral, you know, it's from thinking about the thoughts, like when his one year death anniversary came up, I so easily could have gone to, why did it happen? What, who's to blame? What's going on? but I realized that doesn't serve any purpose. I mm -hmm. cannot blame anybody. I can't blame my son or myself or my husband or anyone else. Just take the blame away. Take the negative thoughts away. You can't change the, the whole what if 
if you think about it, it's actually crazy talk. But I was right. I was there for a week. What if he came back? What if he wasn't really dead? What if, what if? I'm like, okay, that is crazy talk. Let it go. You cannot change it. All you can say is that happened. It's not what I would have chosen. But what can I do with it the way it is now to make something better? And the other thing I've learned is this word guilt. We use guilt in a wrong way. Guilt means that we did something with the intent to harm. Mm -hmm. So when we say, I feel guilty, okay, did you do something with the intent to harm? No, I did not. I might have regrets that my son is not here. I might regret that our relationship as you know, mother, son was not better, but I don't have to feel guilty because I didn't do anything with the intent to harm him. I was always mm -hmm. trying to help him. And so taking a step back and, and realizing what is true and what is not true, that, that is important too. Um, I literally, just like a person who maybe is going through depression, I literally need to control my thoughts almost every day. Mm -hmm. And and then when I'm feeling the grief, I allow myself to feel it. Some days, you know, it's it's more prevalent than others. Um, having a cause is what has helped me move forward. And then also I need to be very uh, understanding of the stages of grief that my other family members are going through because I kind of went through overcoming the, the, the really severe depression and grief fairly quickly because I found the reason why to go forward. That was not the case with my husband or my other children. And they went through different stages of really being able to, to get back in the saddle, so to speak, to find a reason to get up in the morning, to find a reason to even go forward. And I had to respect where they were at, mm -hmm. just like I want them to respect where I'm at because you know, in the beginning, my husband's like, why are you talking to everybody about this? And, and I just said, because I feel like they need to know. They need to know that suicide is not okay, that it's, it's happening, and that they need to talk to their kids about it. Because I don't want another parent to go through what I went through. And so please talk to your children. It, it is so pervasive throughout the United States. I think suicide is the 10th largest kill, killer for children. Children! you know, mm -hmm. as young as nine years old. And so if we're not talking about it, they're hearing it from someone else. Right. I mean, and, my, my daughter yeah. overdosed when she was 15, 14, 14, 15. It was a couple years ago. Yeah. It was, I mean, she's here now. Um, but I mean, so scary to get that phone call. Like, Hey, we're on the way. She was living with her biological dad at the time. And he was like, we're on the way to the hospital. Carmel's overdosed. What the, and I'm in Virginia. She's in New York. You know, it happens. It, it happens to far more people, but because of the shame and the guilt over that, like, what if people think that I'm the cause? Like, what if I did that? Like, I didn't talk about her doing that for, a, and by the way, part of it is because she's in denial to this day that she, like what she did. Um, the other part is like, well, well, people think I'm a bad parent. Like, will they blame me? Will they say that I'm the reason that she did this? No, my daughter has a mental illness. Like, she does. And, and it doesn't matter. I mean, at me as a parent, all I can do is have conversations and try to support her and try to get her the help she needs. She's, she's struggling right now. So I'm getting her back with a psychiatrist. 
you know, that sort of thing. So sorry to cut you off, but it no, happens more often than we can imagine. Exactly. And so, and you've been through it. So, you know, and, and that's the thing that I realized, you know, with my father's suicide, I couldn't talk about it. And I started to go there with my son and I just realized it's not about me. It mm -hmm. is not. And I was really afraid. Honestly, I was very afraid. What, what is the backlash that I'm going to get? Am I going to feel embarrassed? Am I going to be shamed? And I will tell you that not any of that has ever happened to me. People have been so appreciative that I've been willing to talk about it. And, and it was very scary mm -hmm. in the beginning. It was very scary. And I just thought, this is how I'm going to make a difference. And it was really important to me. And, and I'm glad that you are talking about it because it is happening and it's happening more and more. And honestly, think about that. If, if your daughter had died from that, just the loss, the grief, the pain, the, the, the whole, you know, guilt that I was talking about, the, the feelings, it, it is overwhelming and it can feel like a burden just crushing you and, and barely able to breathe. Um, and that is why it's so important to just say, let's just be real. Let's talk about the things that sometimes we don't want to talk about and we might be ashamed of, but we're all going through different things. And let's just be real and not try to put on this facade because it's not true. And it's hurting other people when we do that. No, I, I agree. I think these, these kind of conversations are very important for us to have because mental illness is a, a very prevalent like people don't even realize they say one in four people, but I believe it's probably more than that. But like one in four people will be diagnosed with a mental illness. Like, and it, in it, we, it was a hush hush thing. You didn't talk about, like you said earlier, even growing up for me, my parents would make jokes about people being in the loony bin and like how people were crazy and, and how even though, you know, my own parent like overdosed as when I was a child, we didn't talk about it. It was very hush hush. Like it was a very a secreted thing. I didn't even know that my great grandfather had died by suicide. Like these are things that you should know. Um, and you know the the more genetics play into this. So the if you have a family member that has a mental illness, it, that increases your chances. You're going to have one, right? So my my children's chances are are quite high, considering that I have a mental illness. So if we don't talk about it then people aren't going to get the help they need. And then people are going to stay quiet about it. And they're going to ruminate in the shame. And that can lead to them dying. Like, it's, it's very important. And, and I said this earlier, like I have my little semicolon tattoo reminder is, I'm still here. So many people have lost this battle. And um, if we don't talk about it, how, how is anybody going to get any help? Like if we make it shameful and, and we make it something that, you know, nobody talks about, and um, we talk about the stigma related to mental mental illness. It's still alive and well. Like I, I did uh, for a, a paper in school, I did this anonymous survey uh, with all these questions about what people think about mental illness. And I was in shock at some of the answers. Like these were people either I knew or people I knew knew because like it was like within like a, a couple touches, right? These are all people that that were connected to me because I didn't put it on a very public platform. It was like on my Facebook and I asked people to share it. The, the answers, I, one of the questions would, would you be friends with somebody with a mental illness? And the fact that like 40% of people said no, I was just like, oh my God, like I have one. Like somebody wouldn't be friends with me because of that. So it's just, 
long story short, it's, it's amazing that this, uh, in 2020, we're still dealing with the stigma. And when, in order to like defeat that, we have to share. Right. And the misperception about what mental illness is, because like you said, there are so many people walking around with it and people hide it. My father's mother had it. She got it from her mother. So like you said, it's coming down. It's genetic. It's coming through the family. And, and that's what's hard because it, it's really, it is all around us. And it's just allowing grace and accepting people for wherever they are and, and allowing them to show up in the best way they can. And hopefully they, they are willing to go get help. Yes. Getting help is important. And I want to stress this before I wrap, wrap this up with you is I want to stress people really need to seek help from a mental health professional because seeking help from your PCM increases the likelihood that you will be misdiagnosed and that you will not get the proper treatment. I get so many people and I have a horror story of it too. And I'm not going to go into it because we're almost out of time, but I was misdiagnosed and I was giving the wrong medication, which made me worse, made me more suicidal. And my doctor thought I was full of it because she said, that's not possible. You have depression. Here's this depression medication. Well, now I know I'm bipolar. Sometimes bipolar people can react very poorly to depression medication. So I, that's one thing I got to, I got to put in there. It's very, I'm very passionate about it is please see a mental health professional because doctors are not trained in this. Like they're training, they take like a class or two in mental health when this really needs to be somebody who is very well versed so that they can get you the proper treatment. And sometimes that's medication. Sometimes it's not, but yes. So as we wrap up the podcast, what is something that you would like to leave the inspired women audience with? I would just like to say that there is something inside each one of you, a message, a reason why you're here on this planet, and you are important. You matter to so many people, and you might not even know how important you are to them. You are somebody's everything. You are somebody's entire world. Don't sell yourself short. Um, be willing to have the hard conversations with your children with those you love, um, be willing to, to share what's in your heart, even if you think you might be afraid and scared of doing it. I would just encourage you to share that message that you have inside you that will make a difference in other people's lives and, and help you to find meaning and value in what you do in life. Lark, I would like to thank you so much for being so open and honest. I know this is not an easy topic to talk about, um, but I appreciate you coming on and talking and sharing your story because hopefully somebody out there will get some sort of information that will help them or help a family member. Um, because, you know, we have so many things going on in the world today that are affecting people, but in mental illness is right at the top of that list. Absolutely. You know, I read this article recently because of the pandemic, um, a therapist in, uh, San Francisco said that there were... In one month, there were as many suicide attempts or suicide follow-throughs that happens in the entire year. Mm -hmm. So they are seeing an increase. And, and people need to understand it. nothing is worth them taking their life. As bad as they think it is, as bad as they think life is, nothing is worth that. Reach out and get help. Well, Lark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Megan. I, any chance I get to share my story is, is time well spent. 
Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.